We are the Bullock, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. This is episode number 110. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for downloading, and thank you for spending an hour of your week or so with us. We we lowly Trek Geeks. And, of course, by we, I do mean my co-host, Dan Davidson. It's a fact that he always doubles down on 11... And he always likes to shoot a new paradise. He is the very risk-taking and gambling Dan Davidson. And Dan, you got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him, my brother. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't gamble, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I gam- It was a gamble coming on the show with you every week. I'll say though, but I'm very happy that I think I'm a winner in that category. So thanks for having me, Bill. It's great to be here. I was going to say, look how that paid off for you. I know, right? It's like money that you never see, but you still feel rich. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think I've just been insulted. No, that was nothing but a compliment, I assure you, really. <laughs> yeah. So I'm anyway. Not falling, I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, here we are, episode number 110. This episode drops the day before we arrive at Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, the week has has presented itself, and we figure what better way to celebrate Vegas week than to go with a Vegas theme. Oh, this was a great, great idea, man. I love that you came up with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for Vegas. We're recording the Sunday night before uh, STLV, and as, this, as you said, as this drops, it's going to be Tuesday. And we're like, what are we going to talk about? We've done STLV prep and what it's like to be out there. Let's do a Vegas episode. So tonight, the Vegas episode in all of Star Trek. Bada bing, bada bang. One of the best Deep Space Nine episodes there is. You know, this episode really does a great job in, in the last season of, of breaking up some of that Dominion War mm. tension and drama. And it really adds a, a really nice, lighthearted episode, a fun episode in the middle of all that just horrible darkness. It really does. It's There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of camaraderie. Um, and gosh, is the Dominion even mentioned? I think maybe Vic mentions it once, um, talking about how, you know, Starfleet doesn't back down from the Dominion. Why is he going to back down from the mob? But other than that, you don't hear about the Dominion. And I think that's kind of cool in, in such a um, wartime on DS9 as it is then. I agree 100%. I um, It's it's an episode that I rewatched today, so it's fresh in my mind. But mm-hmm. it's one of those I could watch over and over and over. You know, if, if there were like on that Trek Ranks podcast I've heard of. If there were like a top five holodeck or holosuite yes. type episodes, yes. this would this would be number one for me. 
This would be my number one top Las Vegas related Star Trek episodes in my list. I know that. Um, Dan, I think um, it's the only Las Vegas related Star Trek. Episode. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, if Jim ever has us on, then maybe we can talk about that, but I'm not holding my breath. Well, Dan, <laughs> while you're, while you're not holding your breath, perhaps you would regale the listeners of this here podcast with the contact information so that they could tell us about their favorite Vegas related Star Trek episodes. I would be happy to on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram. Our handle is Trek Geeks. And you can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com or give us a call at 508-784-1701 to leave us a voicemail. And you can do the very same thing by going to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And as always, our official Facebook group Camp Kittimer is available for you to join free of charge. No quatloos needed there. Uh, we got a lot of great discussion going on. People are very excited about Vegas, and we'd like to hear what you think about Vegas, whether you're going to be there or not. Uh, so to join, just go right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you right in to join in all the fun. But I got to say there, Bill, that... Uh, any comments or messages you may leave us in any of these places, they may be used in a future episode. You got what I'm saying? I got it there, Frankie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Dan, before we uh, press on with the business here tonight, we do want to talk a little bit about our second podcast starting starting soon, Discovering Trek. Now, people may have heard of it. It used to have a different name, but now this is the name it's gotten. We're kind of in love with it. But episode one is going to drop September 25th, the night after Star Trek Discovery premieres on CBS Television and CBS All Access. But Dan, sometime after Star Trek Las Vegas, you and I are going to do a, an introductory episode and, and roll that out so people can know what to expect. I think that uh, between SDCC and STLV and all the alphabet soup we have going on, there's going to be a lot to, to do in that introductory episode. We better do that PDQ, I think, also, you know? Uh <laughs> Yes, I think it's a great idea. It'll be good, even for us, you know, for that introductory episode to to kind of get a feel of what we're going to be doing. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a great companion podcast for Star Trek Discovery. And yeah, when we get back from Vegas, it's going to be like less than a month and a half away before premiere night. And I know what I'm doing that night. I know what I'm doing, too. So we want everyone to head out to discoveringtrek.com. You can sign up for the mailing list, or you can find the brand new Discovering Trek Facebook page. But uh, get ready, because uh, it's going to be coming out of Space Talk very, very soon. Oh, I'm getting a little nervous. As well you should be, because the success of this hinges clearly on your shoulders. Right on my shoulders, and I'll take that shoulder weight. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net online at treknews.net. And Dan, up first, our dear, dear friends at Star Trek Continues have released their ninth episode as of this past weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah. Star Trek Continues Episode 9, What Ships Are For, was released this past weekend at the Florida Supercon and became available to everybody uh, on the internets 
uh, this very night, Sunday, as we record. So it's out there and available for anybody to watch. Uh, the episode was written by Kipley Brown, who, as you may know, plays Lieutenant Smith on Star Trek Continues. And was directed by some guy who plays Captain, uh, Vic Mignana. So uh, congratulations to both Vic uh, and Kipley for uh, an amazing job. Uh, there are some amazing guest stars in this episode as well, including Anne Lockhart, Elizabeth Maxwell, Mark Ralston, and of course, the one and only amazing John DeLancey. Uh, so check it out and uh, enjoy it as much as we did. Bill and I have seen the episode. It is simply phenomenal, and it is the very definition of what Star Trek is. So there's so much to talk about with this episode. Um, so Bill, I think we're going to have to do our STC recap uh, in a couple of weeks once we get back from Vegas. That's true. We're going to have next week off uh, because I'm sure we'll be recovering if we have voices left. <laughs> and then after that, we're going to do an STLV uh, recap episode. And uh, we, I, this is news to you, Dan, but we may have uh, Mr. Adam Drosen with us for that one. We're going to talk about that over burgers in Vegas. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and if he's hearing this now, that's pretty much a commitment, Adam, so uh, keep driving, buddy, and we'll see you in Vegas. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very psyched. This episode, it, like you said, it, it really does speak to the heart of Star Trek, and um, I, I truly loved it. It's a little bittersweet that there's only two left, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I, although I can't wait to see what they have, I, I wish I didn't have to Man. know that that was the last two. I know, I know. And speaking of that, just go off on a slight tangent. I thought it was extremely classy and respectful for Vic and the team to announce that they're actually pushing off the last two episodes so it doesn't interfere with Star Trek Discovery. You can't get more classy than these people. It's just awesome to hear something like that. Well, you know, that's what happens when you turn out actual content that True. people love mm-hmm. and uh when you have a respect for things so like we said great episode you know he had it out to star trek continues.com it's on it's on uh, youtube i'm sure by now it's on vimeo it's on pretty much all the sites you can find it on our facebook page but uh, it definitely is an episode worth watching more than once so mm-hmm. and speaking of star trek las vegas we will be on the ground in vegas shortly and the schedule is out and Wednesday is a huge day for Star Trek Discovery. You think? A little bit? Yeah. yeah. We actually changed our flight so that we could get there early enough to partake in the Discovery frivolity, so to speak. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on on Tuesday um, to kick off the convention itself, which is really great. I mean, right off the bat, Kristen Bayer and Ted Sullivan are going to be on stage to talk about uh, Discovery's writer's room, which I think is very, very cool. And then um, they're actually bringing in some of the cast right from the set uh, to to kick off uh, – uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, Mary Chefo, Chifo. I'm not sure how I pronounce that last name. I got to. I got to read up on that. Um, Kenneth Mitchell and Sam Bartholomeos are all going to be in Vegas to kick off the convention, which is very, very cool. Um, a couple of other things that are going to be going on is uh, you're going to be able to meet the designers Glenn Hetrick and Navelle Page, who uh, create uh, different aliens and creatures for Star Trek Discovery. So that's very cool. And then there's going to be a Discovery Comics and Novels panel where they're going to reveal some new stuff coming out. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that because some of my uh, favorite authors, including the wonderful David Mack, are going to be part of that um, panel that's going to take place later in the afternoon on Wednesday. So there's a lot of discovery to be had. And Bill, did you know that we are going to be able to take our pictures in the discovery captain's chair, sir? I did, and I can't wait. They're going to have to pry me out of that thing with some self-sealing stem bolts. Wow. My goodness. 
Yeah. Then can I take my picture first? <laughs> you might want to. Okay. That chair is never going to be the same when I'm done with it. Um, you know, Dan, I think it's funny because of all the names you murdered in that story, um, the only one you didn't murder was Bartholomeos. <laughs> I know. Was that great? <laughs> but the hardest one, I got great. I did good. Uh, yes, I make things go. Oh, that was, I'm sitting here just on mute laughing because, you know, whether it's Neville Page or, or, or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, this, he just, I, he can't read. It's just, uh, reading it's is not, fundamental, but not for Dan. It's not so much reading. It's just phonetics. I think that's where the problem lies. It's just English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited you, for Vegas. <laughs> you know, if I, if I had to create an analogy, it's like you and the English language, you're speed dating. You've had about two minutes together. And you've decided, yeah, maybe we should see other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's that scene in 40 year old virgin where I just like the, the girl's top just keeps coming off and I just can't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dan, it's time for a, a slightly different segment here during news, and um, uh, I'm going to start some music, and if you'll just let me go for a bit, um, I think you'll understand exactly what I'm about to do inside. All right. I'm all for it. Dear Anthony Rapp. Hi, Anthony. Bill here from Trek Geeks. Um, first, I just want to say we could not be more excited for Star Trek Discovery. We know that what you guys are going to put together for us is amazing and wonderful and is going to be real Star Trek. Secondly, I want to thank you on behalf of fans everywhere, including Dan, including the people who listen here and, and pretty much everybody in Trekdom, because uh, the way you approach discussion on social media has been amazing. I've, I've never seen a better interaction and the way you easily refute the claims of the naysayers and the respect with which you still treat them is inspirational. So uh, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for not only understanding and getting Star Trek, but for loving it too. We wish we could see you in Vegas. Um, we understand that uh, y'all got things to do, but please know that, that we truly can't wait and we're proud to call you part of our Trek family. Thanks. There. How was that, Dan? I got I got a tear in my eye, and I'm not even joking. I really do. That was awesome. He he is he is on such a level higher than uh, than so many others. And seeing someone like you said with social media handling things the way he is, he is in a class by himself. I love the guy. I've never met him. I've never seen him doing anything, and I can't wait to watch him in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, same here. We've been fortunate enough to interact with him on Twitter, you know, certainly at a distance a couple of times. We certainly don't profess to, to knowing him at all. Um, you know, we, we've never met him. But, uh, you know, if Star Trek is clearly in good hands, if it's in the hands of people like Anthony Rapp and the other people involved with Star Trek Discovery. And I, I think that that is uh, amazingly evident after the past couple of weeks, if, it, if people didn't understand it before. Absolutely. What I was going to say is watching the, the panels from San Diego last week just fills my heart with such, you know, proudness to be a Star Trek fan, listening to the people that are making the next level of Star Trek. They get it. They understand it. They love it. And we love them for that. And it's going to be phenomenal. Amen. Dan, pressing on with the news, we have the final update just prior to our Cosplay for Good campaign to raise money for the Nevada SPCA. Um, Dan, um, why don't you hit me with some numbers? You know, pretend this is like the old Jerry Lewis telethon and there's a timpani <laughs> drum. Okay. Unfortunately, the only drum that I have is this one. 
that doesn't really fit. Uh, so kind of a joke drum. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a rim shot. Um, so why don't you uh, tell me how much we've raised before the selfie challenge this sure. coming Saturday? I'd be happy to. Let me get the let me hit the switch and the numbers will. Oh my God! Look at that, Bill. Bill, we are up to almost fifteen hundred dollars for the cosplay for good campaign. Oh my God, that is amazing. I I'm beside myself. That is amazing. You know, we had we didn't know if we'd be able to raise a thousand dollars. We set that as a goal and said we're going to do our best. And coming into Vegas, the tote board is at fifteen. Plus, we're going to add the matches from our dear friends. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bump that number up well over two thousand yep. dollars. And and we may even account for the the GoFundMe fees in that process too. So we're hoping the shelter clears two grand, but uh, sure. we're going to work as hard as we can to guarantee that. Dan, we're going to be showing off our sexy legs this weekend, my friend. Yes, we are. Uh, sh- should I shave them? Uh, Drosen no. says yes. I am no. not. No, I don't think I'm going to either. <laughs> I think Casey wants us to also. <laughs> Casey doesn't get a vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really great. Um, as people know, um, on Saturday, August 5th, which is the biggest day at the convention, we're going to be wearing those TNG scants for the entire day. Um, we're going to be looking for you and the first hundred selfies that people take with us in our scants at STLV. We're going to donate a dollar to the NSPCA. It's uh, it's a big deal. And we've got lots of people matching that donation. Um, it's very simple. All you need to do is post that picture to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, whatever your choice. And then just tag at uh, Trek Geeks. And then use the hashtag. we got a special hashtag that we've made for the day. And it's hashtag scants for pause with the number four. And pause as in dog paws, P-A-W-S, not pause as in Bill, stop talking, scans for pause. So uh, it's pretty cool. But Bill, I think we got something else that's even more special for this Saturday uh, scant day, so to speak. You know, we it's no secret we love everybody over the Tricorder Transmissions. Um, uh, Jim Morehouse from Trek Ranks is, is volunteered to match in the Selfie Challenge along with a bunch of our other friends like the GNT Show and, and TrekNews.net and... Um, uh, fan sets and and so many other people um, that uh, we we have to give special love and a shout out to Heather and Jeff from Shoreleaf over the Tricorder transmission. So they are going to help us raise money on that Saturday uh, with their STLV 2017 Bingo Challenge. So one of the squares on their bingo card is for people to find us during that day and donate one dollar to the Nevada SPCA. Um, they've got, I think a hundred cards. So that is a, a max potential of an additional hundred bucks. And what a creative way to help us raise some money for, you know, the biggest no kill shelter in the greater Las Vegas area. So find Heather or Jeff at STLV sometime between Wednesday, August 2nd and Saturday, August 5th to get a bingo card. It's totally free to play, but they will have a limited number of cards each day to ensure that those arriving to the convention later in the week still have a chance to participate. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but they have three grand prizes in their bingo. Bingo! A, <laughs> I've got bingo. Um, a $50 fan sets gift certificate, Ooh. which I would. I wish I were playing because I would love that. Yes. A $50 make it so gift certificate, which I would also love. Wow. And Dan, lastly, a $50 shop LLAP gift certificate. So three incredible prizes. That's pretty awesome. Those are all phenomenal prizes. So the three winners are going to be selected 
at random on Sunday. They'll announce the time and place, I'm sure, um, so everybody knows about it. The first winner picked gets their choice of gift certificate and so on. So um, if you want to know more about their bingo game, head on over to the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Um, you'll All you have to do is search for bingo. You will find it right away. But uh, we truly, truly from the bottom of our hearts cannot thank Heather and Jeff enough for uh, how they've found a creative way to contribute to our selfie challenge. It's so great because not only do the people that are going to be playing bingo get to do something fun and entertaining with this 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 bingo challenge, but we're going to be meeting new people as a result of that. So it's awesome for us and more pictures and more money to the NSPCA. So it's a win-win-win-win-win. So yeah, win. Everybody wins, but most importantly... The Nevada SPCA wins and all the dogs, cats, and other adoptable animals they have there that really could use this help. So it's not too late to donate. Yes, we're at 1500 bucks now, but every dollar we get beyond that is just going to help. All funds that we raise go directly to the Nevada SPCA. It'll never see our hands. We'll never touch it. GoFundMe is going to send it directly to them so that you know with you can donate with confidence. So head on over to GoFundMe.com slash TrekGeeks. Check out the campaign, and uh, we'll see you all Saturday wearing our homemade scants. Oh, yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and Dan, lastly, speaking of STLV awesomeness in this very long news segment today, yeah. um, the Fansets launch party, my friend, you and I are going to have a fantastic time. We cannot wait. This is going to be one of the highlights of the trip, I think. It's really going to be great. Uh, the Fansets launch party presented by Trek Geeks. And I kind of know the two guys from Trek Geeks, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, uh, Friday night, August 4th, uh, starting at 8 p.m. over at the other room at the Forum Shops at Caesars Palace. We're going to be having a fun time with our great friends from Fansets. Um, come on down. Free admission for anyone who has an STLV badge or ticket or wristband. Um, come on in. Have some fun. You're going to get some tickets when you walk in for door prizes. There are some amazing, amazing prizes that the guys and girls at Fansets are giving away. Um, and in addition to that, there's going to be some great discounts on food and potent potables, as Alex Trebek would say. And I would like to remind everybody that Alex Trebek was not... In Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, uh, just, no. Sorry. Sorry. Just wanted to put that out there. And, Bill, we got some special funness that we're going to be doing at uh, at this party, if funness is a word. Um, it's going to be Stump the Geek Live with us, but we will not be answering the trivia. That is true. So we're going to uh, pose questions to the gathered party goers at the Fansets launch party. And you answer questions and you could win some cool stuff. So uh, I, I think that's win-win in this case too, Dan. That's a lot. of We've got a lot of wins going tonight, man. We haven't even started talking about the topic for the night. You know, they say the house always wins in Vegas. Not true. Not true. No. Nope. Not this week. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. To celebrate our annual pilgrimage to uh, the Las Vegas desert, Dan, we thought we'd look at the only episode of Star Trek that uses that locale as the foundation for a story. And of course, I speak of the seventh season Deep Space Nine episode, Bada Bing, 
Bada bang. It's, it's clearly one of our favorites. And what better way to kick off STLV week than with, with the only Vegas story in Star Trek? Yeah, it, it was a great idea. And, and I've been looking forward to, uh, to this discussion tonight uh, all week. Uh, because as you mentioned, it's one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites. I've watched it oh several times in the past uh, couple of months and just watched it last night again with my wife because I wanted to prepare for tonight. It's just so fun. It's so enjoyable. It's great to have that back in time aspect and showing the camaraderie with the crew and the mob aspect. It's just a great fun episode. And as you mentioned earlier, it takes away from the Dominion War for a little while. So it's it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I love Las Vegas. Uh, it's it's no secret I've been there at least two dozen times in the last 15, 16 years. I love Vegas history. I love to read about the mob influence of the early days. I love the movie Casino. And as we'll talk about later, I, I love the film that this episode is a direct tribute and parody of all at the same time. Um, it's, it's so much fun, and I love the fact that they engage that whole... 60s vibe of Vegas because I I really think it's the only way this story could have been told. They really do it in a great job too. Of course, you got to think that yeah, they're the actors here in our time in the 1990s, but their their characters are in the 24th century and yet they're able to change into 1960s characters without any real problem. And it's just so fun to watch everything from the set design to the music. The music is phenomenal in this episode. It's got oh, that yeah. Vegas vibe. I mean, uh, the doorknobs in the center of the doors are just little things that just really stand out to me on how great this episode was put together. And it's something that Ira wanted to do for a long time. And I'm finally, I'm glad that he finally was able to do it um, in the seventh season and do it in a way that was such a success for the show. I, I have to agree with you 100%. I, uh, I I like that at this point in Deep Space Nine's run, they were still taking chances. You know, you never know how a, a holodeck episode is going to go. And I think the thing I like the most about this one is that it's not a holodeck gone wrong episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's one where there is a clear challenge. You know, this jack-in-the-box sort of, you know, invades the program and they have to fix it. And it, it's it's not... You know, people are in peril as a result. It's they could lose their holographic friend, right? And I think it's a nice twist. It is a nice twist. I also like the how they were able to do it. It, it real when you think about it, it's wow. It has to be time specific and how they are able to defeat this jack in the box so they can't use phasers they can't use technology of the time and that really is a challenge when you think of it being what five hundred. 500 something years. Was it that much? I'm kind of doing my math. You know, math is not good. (laughs) Um, But they really do a great job. And also, you can't just go in and take the money and punch out somebody because then the mob's going to retaliate with Vic. So they really have to do it perfectly. And it's a great story. It really is a good story all the way down to the, the smallest detail. So speaking of this story, I mean, obviously, you know, neither of us prepared a, an infamous Trek Geeks three-minute recap, but if you had to describe the story of this episode who'd ne- to somebody who'd never seen it, how would you do it? Um, probably just a couple sec- uh, sentences. Um, uh, Vic's nightclub is changed by a virus in the program, and the crew has to s- do whatever it takes to save Vic without, oh gosh, now I'm stuck. Hmm. <laughs> right? Can I phone a friend? I'd like to uh, phone you know, Bill. Uh, I have to be your friend now? <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi. This is Dan. Hi, Hi Dan. Hi. Uh, I'm kind of stuck in uh, the ending of the description for Bada Bing, Bada Bang. Can you help me out, please? Sure. <laughs> There's some, some stuff happens, like a lot, <laughs> and they they figure it out. No. So, yeah, they, they have to come up with a an in-universe way to write this story. And for, that involves, in this case, getting rid of Frankie Eyes, the, the gangster who's taken over the, the hotel and casino that Vic Fontaine runs. So the crew has to come together and come up with a plan that uh, allows them to do it in 1960s Las Vegas and get past this jack-in-the-box, as they refer to, or subroutine or virus or whatever you want to call it. And they decide that in order to make Frankie Eyes go away, they've got to essentially steal the skim Mm -hmm. from the count room. The skim is essentially what the mob would take out of the casinos before any income was reported to the IRS. It's how they'd get rich under the table. If anybody's seen the uh, the Martin Scorsese film Casino, essentially all of Vegas is based on the skim, and they they go into it in great detail in that movie. So they essentially take the mob's cut. Because they know that's going to leave Frankie Eyes uh, in the middle of the Las Vegas desert with three in the back of his head. Oh, Fair enough? Whoa, wow. That's, that's a little harsh. Well, but that's what they reference in the episode. I know. And, and you got the big bad boss showing up, Mr. Zemo. I, I guess he woke up from his coffin and decided to drive to Vegas that day. <laughs> Tales from the money, Frankie! <laughs> Tales from the Crypt wasn't shooting anymore. <laughs> So, and like like any you know heist or caper episode, um, things go awry. Hmm. Dan, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no. So, so Dan, looking at the characters in the show, aside from just the mob characters, clearly there are types that the characters we know are playing. So, give me some of your your favorite characters, uh, you know, or their their types in in this particular episode. As usual, I, I have to I have to choose Odo as one of my favorite characters in this episode. From the very beginning, when when he gets involved and they show up in the holodeck and the girls are on stage and he's just kind of sitting there with his mouth open while Kira's trying to talk to him, is an it's a hilarious Odo moment. Then how he gets in with uh, with Cheech to become part of the group. Uh, with his stretching his hand ability. I just love how they were able to work Odo into the story so that it was funny and and believable. Um, I really like that. I love Zemo. Zemo was a great character. I joked about it a minute ago, but he is like a perfect, the boss who nobody, the, the mob boss that nobody wants to deal with. It was, it was, he was, he was a very big highlight of this episode for me. He was a riot. You know, I have to agree with that. I, um, there were two particular aspects I love as far as characters, especially the character personas that that our cast had to take on. You know, you have um, you have Kira, who is essentially the decoy. You know, it's her job to use you know her her, her feminine qualities to distract Frankie eyes, mm-hmm. and just the 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 repartee and the dialogue between Frankie and Kira is just it, it's right out of a nineteen sixties Vegas movie. It really is. You can say that again, Dollface. Whoa! Hey, that's I don't. I think you should buy me a drink before you start calling me. I'll, I'll buy you a drink, and we can play footsies under the table. <laughs> <laughs> You've watched this episode way too many times. <laughs> and then I have to say, I love Nog as the safe cracker. I mean, it's mm. it's the obvious role he was going to play, and he just does so well with it. You know, Aaron Eisenberg is great in this episode. 
but you know the whole scene where he's trying to get the safe open is, yes. is fantastic. The, is. the the practicing and the rehearsal for the safe in the wardroom is is great with Esri, mm-hmm. but you know when it comes to be go time and he's having problems, it's just it, it's really really great. I love it. It is great, and and in that same scene, another Odo moment, and and I said this to my wife when we watched last night. It's when they finally get it open, and he's got the big suitcase, and he puts it down. I, I go to so I go. It's really too bad he can't use both hands to fill that stack of that that suitcase. And she goes, "Oh, that's right. The suitcase is part of his hand." Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Good thinking. How it, the serving tray was him to get in the count room. Brilliant, brilliant writing. Well, you know, I have to say we have one of the ultimate O'Brien must suffer moments in this episode too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know he, he he gets arrested for essentially for stealing, and you know, hotel security leads him away, and for uh, a strip search. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. They come back to the uh, to the bar afterwards, and Julian asks him where he was. He's like, "Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> that is great. That's a great laugh for the episode. And. Um, I, I'm sorry. I was going to say I also got to give tremendous credit to James Darren in this episode. He does. He does great. He does pretty much great in all of the episodes he's in. A lot of them he just does a lot of singing stuff. But this one is a good Vic episode. He's got a lot of meat in this episode for his character, and uh, I thought he he really hit it out of the park with it. I, I do too. I mean, because you know James Darren, you know, is a, is a part of that era. You know, mm, yeah. he, his his career is stardom began around that same time in the 60s and you know this is this is an era he's very well acquainted with so i I think it made sense to do this story especially if you got somebody like jimmy darren on set and he's just so great as vic i was surprised to learn that there are a lot of people who didn't like vic i've i've always liked vic the only time i didn't like vic is when he showed up in the mirror universe as a real person yeah that was just kind of weird but other than that i've always liked vic i i have to agree with you i um and it's the only way this story works, quite honestly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, the, you couldn't have just thrown this in as a holodeck episode without somebody like Vic, who's been a repeat character in previous episodes. If it was just a throw-in episode, it, it would not have worked at all. Right. So, so Dan, this, this episode never gets made if the 1960 classic Rat Pack film Ocean's Eleven doesn't happen. Fair statement? That, very fair statement, which... Um, I just watched for the first time ever this afternoon. It's a, it's one of my favorite 60s movies. I love the Rat Pack. I love all things Old Vegas. This movie is very different from the George Clooney version that was made 40 years later. You know, it's it's got musical numbers. <laughs> yeah. Ain't that a kick in the head? Oh, good call. That's <laughs> like one of my favorite Dean Martin songs. But, you know, it stands as both a tribute and a parody of Ocean's Eleven at the same time. You know, if you look at the whole Rat Pack mystique, Classic Vegas was very big in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of that memorabilia was selling. And you know, there were legendary stories of their escapades during the shoot for this film. So what they would do is they would film during the day in Las Vegas. And then, you know, how at the end of the movie, you see all of their names on the uh, on the marquee for the Sands yes. Hotel. Mm-hmm. That That's because every night they were doing a live show at the Sands as oh. the Rat Pack. Until wow. the wee hours of the morning, and then they would go out drinking afterwards. The rat pack is, went out drinking? I know, right? <laughs> and so they would then have to get up early the next morning and then start shooting again. Wow. And they carried on that that schedule, that pace, for nearly the entire shoot of the film. It's amazing that any of them had any livers left. 
<laughs> now, was the entire movie shot in Vegas, or were there any parts of it that were shot back in Hollywood? I believe that there are some scenes filmed in Hollywood on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're obviously just looking at some of the location-based shooting. Some of it absolutely happens in Vegas. Sure. I th- some of the hotel scenes, I think, are shot on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some. Uh, I think the Sahara, you know, um, ballroom where Dean Martin's singing Ain't That a Kick on the Head. I think that's a soundstage. It, doesn't, it didn't look like the original Sahara room. Gotcha. Um, but... You know, now I, I contrast that against essentially what the cast is doing, or, or sorry, the crew is doing in this episode, the crew of Deep Space Nine. So during the day, they are working on keeping the station going, keep holding the Dominion at bay, you know, doing their day jobs, which are, are, are very stressful. And then they're spending the rest of their free time in the hollow suites trying to get this casino back from a, a mobster. I'll tell you what, that is a great analogy, man. That Thumbs up to you on that. I never even thought of that until just as you started to say it. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I know where you're going with this. Great analogy. You're absolutely right. You know, there's there's so much of this movie, you know, its DNA just built into the episode that, you know, if you, ha- if you haven't seen Ocean's Eleven, this episode stands apart as a really great episode. But if you have seen Ocean's Eleven, it really adds a new depth to this script and this story because you see just how interwoven it is, you know, in its its genesis. You know, take, for example, the racism of the time in the 1960s. You know, Cisco and Cassidy have a great discussion mm-hmm. on that. And Cisco talks about why he doesn't want to get involved. And I think it's probably one of the more poignant moments of the episode. It is. It's the, in my opinion, it's the strongest part of the episode and one of the most um, emotional. And uh, after watching Ocean's Eleven today, I can absolutely agree with what Cisco was saying. I mean, I, I felt bad for Sammy Davis Jr., man. I really, really did. Uh, it, it was it was really too bad of of what they made his character in this movie to be like, and it's a perfect example of what Cisco was talking about of why he did not like the era that Vic's Hotel was in. You know, there was a time in Sammy Davis Jr.'s career where he was not allowed to stay at the hotel he was the entertainment for. Jeez. Oh, and other times where he would have to use like you know the the rear entrances because that's what they had. African-American people do back then. He'd have to enter through the kitchen or he'd have to not go through the main casino and lobby. And when you consider Cisco's speech about that, um, uh, because most, I'm sure most people who are seeing this for the first time may not have been aware of that era of Vegas or that, that those kinds of things were going on mm-hmm. and good for deep space nine for calling that out because you know, it's it just, it, it just didn't happen this right. way. I mean, right. Deep Space Nine is, as Cassidy says in that scene, well, it shows us what could have been or what might have been. And that's great, but I think to ignore the racism of that era would have been really a mistake by Deep Space Nine, and I thought they addressed it incredibly well. I thought they did as well. The thing that, it made me sad that, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., the great performer that he was, singer, movie star, this, that, and the other thing, they made him a garbage collector in this movie. And I still... Right now, just thinking about it, I don't understand the scene that took place when he and three of the other guys in the heist were in the garbage truck, and they were all putting on dark makeup on their faces, and they were joking about it with him. What were they even putting that on for? The heist had already taken place, so I don't understand why that scene even was there. And I thought it was a real slap in the face to Sammy Davis Jr. and all African-Americans. 
I have to agree with you completely. You know, there's just it's it's really it's really interesting that that it was that tone deaf mm. at that time with those people. But yeah, but you're right. They're putting a black face in the garbage can as they're going to fetch the money, and there's there's no need for it. So they needed these guys to look African American just because they're in a garbage truck. Yeah, it, it's really horrible. It in is. fact, there's you look at the other characters, you know, and and they are all dressed in suits. And ties, you know, Dean Martin's character has just come from Hawaii. Yeah, you know, he's he's performing in the Sahara Ballroom, you know, uh, with with a with a small band, and Sammy's character Josh is driving a garbage truck. Yeah, and singing to guys playing harmonicas. Yeah, uh, now that garbage truck is very central to the plot of Ocean's mm-hmm. Eleven, so it's not like it it was just there. I mean, it was it was key to the story, but. There could have been anyone of a number of different ways. I thought that was something that the remake of Ocean's Eleven did better, but that's a topic for another time. I have not seen the remake. One thing I will say is that it's as if they tried to cover the racist aspect of that character by saying that he was the cog to make sure that everything worked, because if his part didn't work, the whole thing would fall apart, but still very slippery slope. Definitely. So, Dan, one of the the main piece of Ocean's Eleven and the main piece of Bada Bing Bada Bang is the heist or the caper. Now, in Ocean's Eleven, their plan is to take out a uh, take out the power lines on New Year's Eve, or you know, I guess yeah, New Year's Eve, just after the stroke of midnight, so it's the New Year, and rob five different casinos at the same time. Now, they took a much smaller version of that caper did it a little differently, and I thought that they adapted it for television incredibly well to the point where it was very compelling. I thought so, too. Um, Every person in Ocean's Eleven or the groups of people had specific jobs that they needed to do at each casino, but because we're talking about one casino with Vic and trying to take care of Frankie Eyes, every group or every person of the crew of DS9 had a very specific job that they needed to do in order for this one count room to get hit. So, Pulled it off great. I have to agree. I, I think that the aspects of this various heist, much like the Ocean's Eleven one, every task relies on the one before it, and everybody has to be in the right place at the right time because it's time to the, the second. And I will say that security is really bad in the 1960s in Vegas, <laughs> in both the movie and the episode. <laughs> um, yeah, there is that. There is that. You know, when you see the first domino start to fall in the mistake pattern, where the drink gets knocked over that Dr. Bashir has put the Ipecac in, mm-hmm. um, you start to get that that cringe like, oh my God, this isn't going to work. It, oh no, it's not going to work. Yep. Esri makes a, huge, a couple of huge saves in this heist. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, of course, when the drink gets... I did like how Bashir actually saved Esri in that scene. When the drinks got spilled, he went over to another waitress and just grabbed both drinks. And then, okay. And then she goes in and realizes that Galron is actually at the counting table instead of the guy who should be there. And um, she realizes it's not him and is like, oh, well, if you're not going to drink it, maybe I'll drink it. And she kind of plays on his ego perfectly so that he ends up drinking it. So he has to run out of the count room um, so that they can get in there. I thought that was a very good save by Esri. What's the other one you're thinking of? Um, well, you know, the, the fact that she didn't just lose it when the drink gets spilled. Okay. You know, she's able to carry on because it would have been very easy for her to go, uh, 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 Uh-oh. what next? Mm-hmm. But she recovers, and I think that I think that's key. I mean, yeah, Julian takes the drink, 
but she's got to then get back on schedule after right. that. I, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty key. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I have to say that I, I really love is, <laughs> is Cassidy in this episode. Penny Johnson plays the victim incredibly well. And, uh, <laughs> like we mentioned before, I love that it means just horrible things for O'Brien. <laughs> she does a great job of of again. It's you know it's in the 1960s and the and male dominated era where unfortunately the 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 mindset of of women and 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 uh, other uh, you know like Sammy Davis Jr. that we talked about is is the way it was. She plays on that security guard's ego perfectly as well. Oh, you have the body of an athlete, and to get his attention so that he's paying attention to what she's saying. So I just yeah, very very well done by by Penny Johnson. I there's just so many great moments during that heist. I feel like everybody gets a moment to shine. You know, you've got, you know, Bashir doctors the drink. He makes the save by grabbing the other drinks. Nog actually gets the safe cracked. You know, Ezri, as we mentioned, is a cocktail waitress. Odo is literally the bag man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Literally. Literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned Kira is the decoy. Um, and, and really, hats off to Nana for this episode because she yeah. is just, she screams 1960s in this episode and she, she just does. nailed it. She does. Sis- Cisco is the high roller. You know, he he plays a very integral part, even though he has the least to do in the heist. Yeah, and he's got the least to do, but he he gathers the most attention when it's needed the most. He does, and he makes it rain. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, there's... It's almost like a Mission Impossible episode, but I think to the nth degree with what went wrong and how they recovered. Um. And of course, you know, Vic has less to do, but I'm amazed that, you know, he didn't, <laughs> amazed he didn't get beaten up right there in the casino when he starts, you know, hitting on, on grandpa's lady. As oh it God, was. that was good. Who's this guy, Frankie? <laughs> One, you know what, the other thing that comes to mind in this episode, a very brief scene is Bashir, and it calls back to his time as Bashir's secret agent for his holodeck episodes when he's sitting at the table and he's got a perfect hand and he just has to fold because he has to go and stop the guy from uh, going back into the count room. That was a great uh, little nod there too. Oh, it, it absolutely was. Plus his martini, which is of course not stirred, yeah, stirred, not shaken. Not shaken. <laughs> <laughs> Just great moments. You know, yep. there's all kinds of, of pop culture and 60s call outs in this episode. And I think we could, it would take us forever to call each and every one of them out. Um, I, I did like the whole concept of the Jack in the Box program. I, I, there were times where it could have been a little stereotypical and heavy handed. And I think that stereotype only gave the episode credibility in what they were trying to do. I agree with that. I also think that it could have backfired. I kind of thought that, you know, we've never seen this Felix guy. We never, you know, we've heard of him, but we've never seen him. He doesn't understand. It's kind of like the doctor's program on Voyager. And I know we're talking about a hologram and, you know, who's, you know, is he, is it real? Blah, blah, blah. We could get into the data conversation, this, that, and the other thing. But Felix has no idea how the crew has become friends with Vic Fontaine. And I thought it could have been a little too much for this guy to just, you know, I'm going to throw this monkey wrench into the program and they have to figure out a way or he's going to not be in the program or he's basically going to quote unquote die. That could have really been huge and 
like, really, dude? You're going to do that to this crew that you don't even know? So, but it ended up working out okay, I guess. Well, and, and kudos for Cisco for realizing, you know, that what this meant to everybody in his senior staff and to Cassidy. Yes, that's true. Shows what a good commander he is. You know, although I, I do have to say his his comment at the very beginning of the episode is like, um, are, are we going to get back to work at some point today? <laughs> <laughs> Just delivered so well. And everybody's wow. like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you don't see hardly at all in this episode is Worf. That's right. I wonder what it would have been like for him in, in that whole holodeck, ep, the the whole shenanigans going on. Well, because they use Nog. Yeah. You know, Nog doesn't necessarily look like he belongs there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it would have been interesting to work Worf in there somewhere, and how would they have worked him in? Yeah. Well, to people in the holodeck in this 1960s casino, are they going to realize that he looks different? I don't well, think so. Did, no, I don't think so, because they didn't notice Nog. Exactly. Yeah. He just would have beat everybody up, taken the money and gone, and killed everybody in the mob, and that would have been it. The only thing I can think of is they didn't work him into the casino aspect because maybe it would have been a, too much like your favorite episode, The Royale. Oh, God. I knew you were going to that. <laughs> I love you, Claire, but it's just not one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Dan, was there anything that didn't work for you in Bada Bing, Bada Bang? You know what, man? I I was looking over the show notes tonight before we went on and saw the question. I I really don't think so. It was pulled off in a great way. Maybe if because we've seen Casino and we've seen Goodfellas and these mob movies that have a tremendous amount of violence. The only violence we saw in this episode was when Cheech shoved the cheesesteak sandwich in the guy's face. That was about it. So the, the mob in this episode doesn't really have a lot of teeth. Well, neither does Zemo. But um, anyway, oh. yeah. Um, that might be the only thing, but it's television. I understand that. So um, other than that, I, I really can't think of anything, man. It is a cohesive episode, and it is one that just shines in every way. You know, I have to I have to agree with you 100%. I, I think that one of the great things about this episode is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to censor it for younger viewers. You know, with some of those other things that we mentioned, like Casino and Goodfellas, you can't show that to kids. No. But this is an episode that, you know, with the right parental explanation and supervision, you know, that is easily, you know, consumed by a younger audience or you know, like sure. a teen audience without a whole lot of questions because they don't necessarily have to have seen Ocean's Eleven. You know, my recommendation is if you haven't seen Ocean's Eleven, watch Bada Bing Bada Bang first and then go watch Ocean's Eleven because I think it I think it'll play better for you. I think you'll see some of that, you know, that, that nucleus, that DNA, you know, uh, from the movie as you're watching, or from the episode as you're watching it. Can I add to that? Yeah. So you said, um, see Bada Bing, Bada Bang first, then watch Ocean's Eleven, then go watch Bada Bing, Bada Bang again. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I really like You know one thing we didn't talk about about Ocean's Eleven? What's up? The ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Wow. <laughs> so one of the, uh, we don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't oh. seen it. Yep. But one of the best, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. OMFG <laughs> moments. <laughs> yeah. One of the best twisted endings yes. uh, of a movie. I mean, uh, the Ocean's Eleven is not particularly violent. No. Um, you know, uh, it's it's not uh, it's it's not Goodfellas, but uh, there is probably the ultimate twist at the end of this movie. Yeah. Uh, when all is said and done, you know. By the way, Dan, random trivia. Mm -hmm. So there actually is a Star Trek tie-in for Ocean's Eleven, and I don't mean bada bing, bada bang. 
So Ocean's Eleven, the original film from 1960, was co-written by a man named George Clayton Johnson. And Dan, um, do you recognize that name at all? I think so. Uh, didn't he write The Man Trap? Yes, he did. You know how Several I knew years. that? How's that? You told me a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, thanks for peeling back the curtain and showing people how the magic is hey, made. I got to show who the brains in this organization is, man, and that is you. So yeah, so George Clayton Johnson, years before he wrote The Man Trap, wrote or co-wrote Ocean's Eleven. So it's kind of interesting that Ocean's Eleven uh, still kind of has a tie to Star Trek, even if it really doesn't. You know what I mean? That is very cool. I'm, that, when you when you texted me that earlier, I was like, that is really neat. Because I do that all the time. Whenever I'm watching anything, I'm like, oh, Star Trek reference, Star Trek person. This person was in this episode. That It's great to see something like this. A classic movie like Ocean's Eleven has a tie to Star Trek. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Would you, since now I've seen Ocean's Eleven, the original 1960s version, should I see the remake with Clooney? Uh, you should, but know that they're two completely different movies. Okay. I will keep uh, that in mind. It, it's entertaining in its own right. I think, uh, and I know uh, Brandon Shamutala would would totally disagree with me, but I think Ocean's 12 is, is putrid. Okay. And Ocean's 13 is eh. Ocean's Eleven, the you know the one with Brad Pitt and George Clooney, really is the best of the three. Okay. It tells a it tells a good story. It tells a good heist story. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it, but uh, you know I think it's really Ocean's Eleven in name only. Okay, I will keep that in mind. You know, it's got Vegas. Uh, there's there's some great shots of the Bellagio fountains, which uh, is where I proposed to my wife, by the way. Oh, very nice. Uh, I know. That's- I just I love the Bellagio fountains, but uh, it's worth seeing. I think it really is. I will. Keep, I'm not going to bring it on the plane, but uh, I will definitely think about uh, about watching it soon. Excellent. Well, Dan, um, that about does it for Bada Bing Bada Bang. We're uh, getting ready to depart at uh, zero dark thirty for Viva Las Vegas. Very dark thirty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as people listen to this episode, it, it, they may not have yet subscribed to Trek Geeks, Dan. What? Um, I know. You know, people are discovering this podcast all the time, and we're grateful for everybody who checks us out. We genuinely appreciate it. Um, If you don't yet already know, you can subscribe to this podcast and get it on your handy-dandy device. And Dan, how might that happen, my brother? It's very, very easy to do, and we welcome and thank everyone who does subscribe to the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, like Bill said, it's very, very easy. All you have to do is head on over to subscribe.trekgeeks.com to find out how you can get this very podcast every Tuesday delivered straight to your iPod, iPhone, Android, or whatever device you may use. Very, very simple process. And you can also go on, on right on over to iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or to our website, trekgeeks.com, to uh, listen to every podcast. Uh, you know, Bill, it's, it's, it's their independent podcast. It's their independent Star Trek podcast, and it's delivered their way. So make it so. Make it so indeed. In fact, Dan, another thing we have to make so is our gratitude for our friend's five-year mission. We will truly miss them in Las Vegas this week uh, since they're not the house band, and they should be by all rights. They should be the permanent house band of STLV. But we still want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their music. We are extremely grateful to them for getting to use their music each and every podcast episode. All of the tracks you hear on Trek Geeks are five-year mission songs. So if you dig those, please check them out, download all their stuff. We guarantee you'll love it. Uh, Fiveyearmission.net. I love year one, year two, year three, 
They're making year four now. Yep. Trouble with Tribbles is out. Spock's brain is out. That's a lot of Star Trek albums and songs to take in and love and enjoy. But you know what's even better for me is I when no I idea. find I find new stuff to listen to. Just the other day, I was list- watching a Deep Space Nine episode. It was awesome. It was another holodeck episode, which is kind of cool because it ties into tonight. Yeah. There's nothing like watching an episode where we get to hear the crooning of the one and only Vic Farctane. It is beautiful, man. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. Oh, can I just say before we before we let this topic go, I love the duet between oh. Jimmy Darren and, and Avery Brooks. I wish we got to see Avery sing more because that was great. And that little like dance move that he does before he like really like rawrs into the microphone was just classic. I love watching that. You know, still it is a real good bet. The best is yet to come with Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 remainder of the episodes in that season are just lights out. So they are. Uh, Dan, we also want to thank our good friend Aaron Harvey. He will not be in Vegas this week, but. Uh, we are grateful to him also for creating the Trek Geeks Delta symbol that you see adorn this podcast, and and uh, probably everything we'll be wearing at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, that's pretty much a good good bet. <laughs> Even the tattoos that that we sport. So uh, please, if you don't yet follow Aaron on on Twitter, he is at Geek Filter, and he also hosts uh, our a podcast on Trek FM called Saturday Morning Trek, which looks at Trek in the 1970s. And he is also a co-host on the new Trek FM show, The Edge, which is their dedicated Star Trek Discovery podcast. Nice. So Aaron is a fantastic guy. We love him to death. And please uh, please show him some love and support. Dan, next week, um, I think we're going to be a little tired. Yeah, I think there's something wrong with the Argus Array, so we may not be able to have a podcast next week. We're actually headed to Vegas, as everybody knows, so we're going to take the week off to recuperate and you know, hopefully get our voices and livers back. Um, but we'll be back the week of August 15th, and we're going to do a wrap-up of the biggest Star Trek convention in the world. And it's going to be our STLV recap episode. Uh, in the meantime, stay tuned to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts, because... Uh, chances are we're going to have a lot of pictures posting in the next several days. And lots of photos of our sexy legs, hopefully. (laughs) Ooh, Um, hopefully? I know. But also, there's going to be a lot of discovery news, potentially. So please stay stay, uh, in touch with us on our social media, because we'll be sure to uh, to let everybody know as we find things out. Because, uh, oh, I can't wait. It's almost here. (laughs) (laughs) You sounded like the lion from Wizard of Oz there for a second. Uh, Well, you know, I played on my strengths. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. We're so grateful to to them for the fundraising they're going to do for us and with us this weekend. Um, So thank you to Heather and Jeff and and Jim and everybody at Tricorder. Uh, We love you guys so much, and we can't wait to see you. And Dan, of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, Please visit our great friends at treknews.net, who we'll also see in Vegas this week. For now, this has been episode 110 of the Trek Geeks podcast. Viva Las Vegas, baby. Live long and prosper. The coconut will come and Bill, won't it be fun? You think it tastes real bad, but it tastes really yum. All I can say is coconut is yet to come. <laughs> oh man, Sinatra! Sinatra's rolling over at his grave. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>
Bing bong. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? When you came in, the air went out. Oh, wow. <laughs> so wait, so wait you, you're going to be true blood after we've watched some Vegas goodness? Uh-huh. And every re- shadow filled up with doubt. See, I thought you were going to go, out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. Well, that might happen later. <laughs> Spoiler you alert. You came along and everything started to hum. I want to do bad things with you. <laughs> Still, it's a real good bet. The best is yet to come. Oh. Sorry, I had, uh, I had a little uh, a little bit of that on the brain today. So, yeah. so you, you watched Ocean's Eleven. I did. I watched it today while I was ironing for Vegas. <laughs> That's funny. While you were ironing your underwear, yes. <laughs> and you hated it. No, I didn't hate it at all. Oh, well, that's fascinating. I expected you to hate it. Nope. It was definitely 60s. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, there were some parts that were like, oh, my God, this is just hard to watch. But I, I didn't dislike it. I did not dislike it. I will say the ending, I'm like, oh, my God, what are they doing? What are they doing? I know what's going to happen. And it happened. One of the greatest psych-out endings in movie history. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. And they just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Eleven. It's amazing um, to see what Vegas looked like back then compared to what we see today when we go out there for the convention. Okay, so about that. So you know the scene where the garbage truck is pulling into the Flamingo the first time? Yes. That's the corner of the Flamingo where there's that driveway beside the building and there's the tower right next to it now. That today? entire Yeah, today. That entire structure is just gone. <laughs> Jeez. They leveled the original hotel. They kept uh, one wall, I think, which is, I think, still part of the uh, the garden outside. I could have that wrong. When they but show this, when they show the scene of like the strip, and they show the Happy New Year balloon come up, yeah, it looks like downtown Podunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that part they showed there was like the Fremont Street area, man. So uh, you figure most of the, all of those hotels that they robbed in the original Ocean's Eleven now are, are the, those original structures are gone. They're gone, yeah. And the only one that remains name-wise is the the Flamingo. Yeah, that's amazing. The original. No, no I, I enjoyed it. I, um, I'm glad I got to see it. Um, uh, I thought that oh, we'll get into it in the show, uh, in the podcast, about different aspects of it that I was like, wow. But uh, no, I'm glad I got to see it before the episode tonight. So we have something to, to talk about because it was good. There's so much context that adds to this episode, too. There, there really is. Yeah, it was really good. But I mean, Bada Bang, Bada Bang is just such a great episode by itself. Even if you don't see Ocean's Eleven, oh, it's still absolutely. just phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that one of the... one of the I'm looking at the opening credits as I'm watching it, and, and Bobby Riley is credited <laughs> in the opening credits. Yes. And that's, I mentioned yeah. that to Sue last night when we were watching it before dinner. I'm like, you know who Bobby Riley is, right? She's like, no. I said, yeah, that's Galron. And then the scene, I'm like, here comes Galron. <laughs> That's just about the most sorry excuse I ever heard. <laughs> Galron the Accountant, the new series from CBS All Access, coming in 2019. So you got you got Bobby Riley in, in Bada Bing Bada Bang, so you know things can't go well. But you also have Mr. Roper in Ocean's Eleven, so you know things are really not going to go well. <laughs> oh, no doubt, right? Well, and then you've got the rest of the Rat Pack. You've got 
uh, you've got Dean, you got Sammy, you got Frank, you got Peter Lawford, yep. you got Joey Bishop, mm. you got a couple of other scrubs who really shouldn't be there. George Raft gets to play a gangster, which is all the man ever did, I think. <laughs> uh, and Cesar Romero. Oh, yeah. see, yes. Oh. You know, Sue came in while I was watching the movie. I was it was like fifteen minutes left in it, and we're, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like. That's Cesar Romero, I think. That's a Joker from Batman, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. and here's one of the interesting things about that movie. So, you know, Danny Ocean, Sam, all the other guys wearing suits. Dean Martin, you know, his character just flown in from Hawaii. What's Sammy Davis Jr.'s character do? Oh, my God. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, EO11. <laughs> EO11. Sorry. (laughs) You know that place down there or heaven. There's a line for you. Can I say one thing about Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. cannot lip sync worth crap. No. (laughs) It was a. (laughs) I love how they worked in a line about his glass eye, too. (laughs) Yes, that was awesome. Oh God! Okay. Now, more importantly, doesn't this movie really put you in the Vegas spirit? It does. I, I mean, I wish tomorrow was was Wednesday. <laughs> oh no, kidding! Yeah. Oh yeah. my God! Absolutely. Well, as people listen to this, they'll True. be it'll be Vegas time. Abs- absolutely. Yep. So we we hope people find us and say hi. Come see us. Give us some Ocean EO Eleven. Let's sing it together in our scants. That's it. Scant day on Saturday. We got that coming up. Come say us. Come take pictures to for the pups and and kitties and. Alpacas and whatever else they got. I like alpacas. They're cute. They sound, You ever listen to an alpaca? They sound like Peter Griffin. Have you ever <laughs> seriously heard one? They're, they're like this. This is what they sound like. That's the noise they make. You remind me of a screaming goat. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. You ever seen the video for the screaming goats? Yes. Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Tay Tay. <laughs> Yes, Tay Tay. That's what the rock calls her. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. In the very first episode of a lip sync battle, I think it was he he did a Taylor Swift song, and he kept referring to her as Tay Tay. Oh, good lord! So now I refer to Taylor Swift as Tay Tay. Tay Tay. All right. I'm and I have to say, if she's got that much trouble with uh, with the people she dates, maybe at some point Tay Tay, the problem isn't them. Oh, the common denominator. I know all about that. Yeah. 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 It's a good math question, which we're not good at math, so. Math is hard. Math is, yeah, math is hard. I, um, you, know what else, you know what else is hard? No. Your face. Wow. Yeah. I had to throw it in there now because I probably wasn't going to get to it later because we have so much good stuff to talk about. So I figured we might as well talk about something bad first. Oh! <laughs> we're going to Vegas in a few days. I almost said Disney. <laughs> it's adult Disney. Well, that's true. A good point. Yes. I bet you will see some goofies out there. So, yeah. I'm adding something to the uh, the new segment. Oh, okay. Excellent. Uh, okay. Oh, see it? yes, I do. I yeah. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Remember the, the Dear Terry Farrell segment? Yes, I did. It's do. It's going to be kind of like that. All right. That's good. Hey, you know what else is good? In addition to Airy Studios here in wonderful Yarmouth, Maine, we finished the second bedroom today. It is all done, painted, furnitured, done, done. And it looks very fine. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yes. 
Got it done before the trip, so I was excited. Yep. That's about time you did something before the trip. I know. know. Just running around, you know, watching dumb movies, but it wasn't dumb. I'm about 85% packed. Okay. So here's about packing. I'm all packed, but I am repacking tonight because the suitcase I'm taking is too big and I'm shrinking it down. But what if you get stuff while you're out there? Wouldn't you rather have room? Because I I would have fit everything in this big suitcase and not had anything in my Trek Geeks duffel bag that I'm bringing. So I'm shrinking down and we'll still have the duffel bag. I'll be fine. Don't you worry. Well, but if you bring a duffel bag, you can carry some other stuff. I said, don't you worry. Thank you. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Are you ready to do this, jerk? I am ready. Uh, the best is yet to come, except when Dan Davidson's involved. I'll tell you that. Wow. Thanks, Dollface. You're welcome. Pally. 